and welcome to The Ordinary Knitter, the knitting podcast that's mostly about the projects, sponsored by EcoFlap home draft proofing products, including the PetFlap draft proof pet door. My name is Heather and I'm The Ord Knitter on Twitter, The Ordinary Knitter on Instagram and Ordinary Knitting on Ravelry. This time, what happens to the alpaca socks, dishcloth rundown, the joy of gloves and of course Christmas knitting. Remember me? My name's Heather and I could add a podcast once in a blue moon. I felt I should wait until I'd finished the convertible gloves I was making for Polly and for reasons you'll hear that took a long time. I finally sent them off to her in Glasgow earlier this week and they haven't arrived yet but I'm trying not to worry about that. Anyway here we go on a catch-up of five months of knitting. Last time we spoke, I was making kitchen cloths for Pete to take off to university with her. I made several and I'll just run through them quickly. Kitchen cloths are a very mundane item. You don't even think about them. You maybe chuck them in the wash once in a while. But when they're a handmade gift, they give you a personal connection to the knitter who made it for you. And of course, the scope for different designs is absolutely endless. The first one I made was King Charles Brocade Cloth by Knightly Knitter. I should say that all of these were made with stash odds and ends. I'm on a bit of a mission, to be honest, just now, just to get shot of this stash. So I don't actually know what yarn I used for most of them um, because they're just odds and ends. They've long since lost their labels. But I used yarns that felt like they were mostly cotton. I sort of used up some odds and ends at one point making cloths for myself and I used one or at least one that had some uh, acrylic in it I really don't like it very much it feels weird when it gets wet so cotton is the way to go with dishcloths or something else that behaves in a similar way I wouldn't go down the acrylic route I wouldn't actually choose to go down the acrylic route at all anymore but oh my god I've got so much of it I've just got to use it up so the first one I made was this King Charles Brocade and I used a cream cotton four ply. The weight gauge, weight of yarn that you use doesn't really matter, but obviously you need your cloth to be big enough to be useful. So if you're using a four ply, you just have to just do more work to have a usable finished item. King Charles Brocade, <laughs> King Charles Brocade is a square cloth with a repeating diamond pattern that put me in mind of diaper brickwork. The pattern for this stipulated a long tail cast on. Why? Why is that better than a regular cast on? I I genuinely don't know the answer to that. I obeyed the instruction, but I can't really see what the benefit is. Please tell me if you can answer that one. If that's your cast on, what bind off should go along with it. Because I don't know the rationale for the cast on, I don't know how to match it with an appropriate bind off. Um, It's a square, so I wanted to avoid pulling it in at the top. It's so annoying when you realise you've done that. You know, you you could go back and unpick it all and add in some more yarn, but if you don't realise until you've, you know, finished your bind off and cut the yarn and then you suddenly go, oh, and even it doesn't have to be that much and it still spoils the shape. That kind of thing is so annoying. So I just made sure I bound off quite loosely and I used a larger needle. The next cloth I created was mermaid tail dishcloth. This is a new stitch for me. It reminds me of herringbone stitch. I used that in some mitts uh, that I made a few Christmases ago. I enjoyed doing this one. In fact, I enjoyed all of them. 
they're quite forgiving projects. And even though it's annoying if you bind off a square too tightly and it kind of goes tits up, at the same time, you know, it's a dishcloth. There's not um, any great uh, pressure that it's got to be perfect. You know, they're, they're quite forgiving. Um, I should say, I didn't block any of these. You know, can you imagine they're going into a student flat? It's not like anyone's going to pause to admire the beautiful blocking before they do the uh, washing up once a fortnight. Um, I used a sturdier cream yarn for this one, most likely a King Cole recycled cotton Aran. That's another thing with these projects. It doesn't really matter what, you know, what yarn you use. Um, I bought a lot of King Cole recycled cotton Aran when I was doing baby knitting and I've got a lot of odds and ends left over of it. And it's just ideal for this kind of thing. The mermaid tailcloth is another square cloth with a repeating pattern, but this time, rather than the pattern being something you have to create with pearl or whatever, um, it's the, just the actual act of doing the mermaid tail stitch that creates the pattern. Um, you end up with this forward slanting little pattern. It's created by um, doing yarn overs and then passing them over other stitches. And it's the finished effect that reminded me of herringbone stitch. The third cloth is a little joke. Uh, Polly is 50% avocado, so I found a cloth with an avocado pattern in it. Avocado dishcloth by Carly Zimmerman. It's one of these patterns. You see unbelievable numbers of these on Ravelry. The pattern, they're basically a flat dishcloth with a seed stitch border, and the pattern is formed by strategically placed pearl stitches against a stocking stitch backdrop. I used my favourite Nipro Nova Cubic 4mm for this, but it's small. I say it comes out small. It just is small. It's just a small piece. To be any real use as a cloth, you'd have to have the avocado pattern repeating, maybe two of them top, two of them bottom. Um, I mean, it was just a little joke thing. She might even use it as a coaster. I find that my tension varies between knit and purl, and that matters in things like this because... You've got stocking stitch knitted flat, so you're knitting on one side, you're purling on the other. And so when your tension's different, it, it kind of affects it a wee bit, but I didn't do the cloth any favours, but I, you know, for, for what it was, I really don't think it matters. The last cloth I made was of my own design. Uh, the last suitable bit of stash yarn I had to hand really for this was a raspberry coloured cotton aran. So I made up a raspberry design, which was a very minor in joke because we do grow a lot of raspberries in our garden. To be honest, it looks a lot more like wattle and daub than it does raspberries. But I did archaeology. Polly's doing history, so that's not entirely inappropriate. Uh, I think it'll be quite useful, though, because it's come out quite big and it's quite textured. So I sent her off with these cloths, but she hasn't mentioned them since. But I'm pleased to say that um, our conversations over the last few months haven't sunk to the depths of me asking how her kitchen cloths are. I talked last time about the most recent pair of socks I'd knitted for my husband. I'd put a lot of research into choosing the yarn. I was looking for durability as previous socks were going through on the heel. Not Maybe not exactly fast, but sooner than I'd like, because I'm not very good at darning. I make a bit of a pig's ear of it. He's a big guy. He's heavy on his feet. You know, you see these um, holes begin to appear. Well, thinning, you know, you can sort of you can see daylight through it. So in the end, I had chosen Drops Nord, N-O-R-D, which has a high alpaca content, and alpaca is meant to be very hard wearing. I'd realised last winter the penny had dropped, 
that tumble drying hand knitted socks was helping them thin uh, because so much fluff comes off in the dryer. So I didn't mind if the yarn wasn't tumbleable, whereas previously uh, tumbleability was something I had really looked for in a yarn. What I didn't pay attention to, though, was the washing instructions. Now, I don't wash hot, sometimes at 30 degrees, often at 20, very occasionally at 40. Some things at 60 because, well, some things need it, but not often. Well, even um, 30 turned out to be too much for drops Nord, together with the action of the washing machine. The first time they went through the washing machine, they came out felted. I couldn't believe my eyes. Um, my husband wasn't that bothered, though. He said they actually fitted better, which I found slightly hard to believe. But I suppose they fitted almost a little bit more like a, I don't know, um, like a little medieval boot, almost. <laughs> um, I avoided them in the washing basket, to be honest, after that for a while, because I just didn't really know how to approach them. Then I decided to put them through on their own on a cold wash. They survived it, but it's not very environmentally sensible, you know, running a wash for one item. However, uh, recently, when I wasn't paying attention, uh, they snuck through on a warmer wash and they've shrunk again. He reckons they're fine. Um, he's just stretched them, apparently. So great. Uh, I have another skein of Drops Nord in a fabulous scarlet colour. I'm not sure what to do with it now. And socks seem a bit of a daft option, really, with so much hassle around washing them. It's really quite ridiculous as a grown woman avoiding an item in the washing basket. And... I'm a loving wife, but I don't see myself hand washing my husband's socks. I'm going to have to find something else for the next pairs of socks, another yarn um, in the new year. Maybe good old red year again, but it's never let me down. But I have a dim memory of another yarn that people were recommending. I can't remember if it was Twitter or if I was just reading something. And I'll have to dig about to find out what that was because I'm quite open to using um, other yarns and just, you know, expanding my experience. Once I'd finished these socks I asked Polly if she wanted anything knitting because I needed a new project and she asked for fingerless gloves with a flip top which I've since learned are called convertible gloves. Of course she wanted the type that has individual fingers rather than just uh, one big cuff going along like the middle of your finger of your four fingers. Uh, this is an order of magnitude more fiddly not to mention creating about seven billion ends to weave in because every finger has its own individual um, start and stop. And oh, it just, I felt like I was handling ouds, handling the gloves when they had their um, ends ready to go. And it made me think that on a future occasion, I might actually weave the ends in as I go because it makes my heart sink a bit when I see an item that's just absolutely dripping with bits and you know you've just got absolutely ages to sit there you've got to get a good light and blah 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 so I think it might just be less of a big deal to do it as I go along next time between us oh sorry that's me trying to knock over a Christmas tree between us Polly and I chose nesting fingers which is a bit of a name Polly wanted blue and I had two types of blue stash yarn so like a sensible knitter I swatched the pattern called for DK, but I just couldn't get the right stitch count in DK. And it occurred to me as I swatched that, you know, you knit a standard swatch flat, but this project is knit in the round. And my tension varies between knitting flat and knitting in the round, which made me wonder how much use um, this swatch would actually be. Anyway, I had too many stitches um, in the row. I just couldn't get the right stitch count. So I went up to an Aran. 
Uh, and this was on three millimeter Knit Pro Smart Sticks, or should I say my new three millimeter Knit Pro Smart Sticks. I love the Smart Sticks range, uh, especially now that I've got over my confusion of mistaking the two centimeter markings all along the needle for the needle size, which threw me a few times. But Aaron with three millimeter needles is the most ridiculous wrestling match. Gave me an incredible stitch fill, but it was like, uh, it was like felt, you know, so I went up to a four millimeter. And I asked on Twitter about doing this because the alternative was sticking with the DK using absolutely massive needles to get the right stitch count and then having a really terrible stitch fill, which is something I particularly don't like. And I was working on the basis that I've read somewhere it may even have been in the um, Debbie Bliss Knitter's Knowledge, which I was using at the time, that you go up a needle size, i.e. half a millimetre, per stitch that you need to lose. Um, it's, I've not got very many knitting books, but this Knitter's Knowledge is, is part of it. And I thought that if I was going to swatch properly, this really was the horse's mouth, essentially. Um, anyway, on Twitter, I had a very helpful reply making the point that DK can vary from being practically four-ply to nearly Aran, and what really mattered was gauge rather than specifics. So having thrashed out all of that, I started with a blue marl Aran, part of this vast amount that I bought from Aldi a few years ago. I've never made gloves with fingers before, so the whole thing was a learning curve. Uh, I was knitting these in the round on Magic Loop, it started out, innocently enough, cast on, the dreaded join to knit in the round, or my preferred knit flat for a few rows, then join when you can actually see what's going on. The only issue with that is, that as well, I was saying before about my tension being different between knitting flat and knitting in the round. So this is the issue potentially you get because you knit flat for the first few rows and then you join and you're in the round from then on. But I don't think that's too serious for a few rounds of rib, honestly. If you were knitting something where every stitch was really visible, then that might be more of an issue, but I really don't think it was here. Uh, I've had more of a problem with that when I've knitted tops where certain sections are done in the round and some are done flat. It's much, much more obvious. So when I uh, joined and I continued in rib, I could see that I was getting laddering where I started a needle with a purl stitch, I couldn't see why it should happen because I was really paying attention to make sure that I didn't let it get baggy there, but I, I couldn't stop it. Whatever I was doing, it was causing the problem. So I just rejigged the stitches on the needle so that I had a knit stitch at the beginning, which quite honestly, I prefer anyway. I, I think it feels more natural. So the basic anatomy of uh, this um, glove, you knit the cuff, then you switch to stocking stitch around where you get to the hand and you go up half a needle size at that point. At, at a certain distance along, knitting from the wrist towards the fingers, you put in a purl row on the back of the hand, which later on you come back and pick up, uh, you pick up along it to begin the flap. And it's around this point you begin to create the thumb gusset. Shortly afterwards, you create the little finger and then you do a few more rounds and then you're on to doing the fingers. If you've never really noticed before how your fingers connect to your hand, it's interesting to see the thumb is the lowest down, then you've got the little finger, then you've got the rest. So obviously this affects uh, at what point you, you start making the fingers. The thumb gusset uh, stitches go on to a stitch holder. You come back and you deal with those uh, after you've done the rest of the fingers and before you do the flap. So I used one of my shiny, colourful, giant, nappy pin style stitch holders. I got a few of those. I think I got them from Tiger. 
Um, and the operative word here is giant. It was like having scaffolding in my work. And by the time I had one there and another for the finger stitches, when I began the little finger or the hand stitches, I suppose I should call them, it was absolutely unworkable. There's an awful lot of stitches on the stitch holder, stitches back onto the needle, making uh, gloves with fingers. And the advantage of this style of stitch holder is that they're very easy to restore stitches from because you're going from stitches on one you know, hard piece of metal onto another, but they're really unwieldy because there's no give. So eventually I switched to putting um, stitches onto a length of four ply instead, the stitches I wasn't using, but it can be a sod to restore stitches from that. They, the, the stitches you're trying to pick up, they can seem to really dig into the rest of your knitting and you know they can't go anywhere because they've got this little bit of four ply on them. But oh, sometimes I just almost impossible. I was ending up doing things like getting a darning needle to sort of hoik the stitch up and then feeding it back onto my uh, proper knitting needle. But I had no choice. This project was fiddly enough without having it made worse by having to negotiate around iron bars in my work that were making the weight really awkward and all the rest of it. Um, these um, metal or rigid stitch holders also have the added frisson of accidentally unhooking them and dropping stitches, which is not really what you need when you're already trying to keep numerous plates spinning in the work. This drops pattern is very much what I would consider a knitter's pattern. In other words, the instructions are sketchy. I laughed and then I cried when after a page and a half of instructions for the first glove, the instructions for the second read reversal shaping. Several times, as well as restoring stitches from the stitch holder, you have to both pick up and cast on extra stitches. And it took me several fingers to realize that when it says, for instance, pick up two stitches and cast on two towards the stitch holder, it means equally, i.e. one on each needle, not do them all at the beginning of your first round. And that's really, really obvious, I'm sure, to everybody else. But I would have appreciated having it spelt out. When you create glove fingers, there's a good chance you'll end up with gaps in the knitting between the fingers. I'm sure an experienced glove knitter can, can get past that. And I know I've seen tutorials. Um, I know that there are tutorials in how to minimise this. I didn't look at them because I felt that my understanding of what I was doing was sufficiently minimal at that point that I wasn't at the position of starting to refine technique. I felt I sort of needed to get to the point where I knew enough to get the benefit of refining the technique, if that made sense. No matter how hard I tried to avoid these gaps, I ended up filling in two or three as I wove in the yarn ends. I have to say hand on heart that I didn't enjoy knitting these gloves all that much. I certainly didn't enjoy knitting them enough to want to get terribly much better at this issue of the finger holes. Uh, mittens and convertibles with one big cuff across the knuckles will be just fine in future. As I went along, I kept testing the glove to check that the size was about right. I found the fingers a wee bit tight. I have slightly larger hands than Polly, but not that much. As I think is quite standard, the pattern instructed you to go down half a needle size for the fingers. You know, this is in the name of achieving nice, snug um, glove fingers, not, you know, great big baggy floppy things. But by the time I had finished this first glove, I pulled out all the fingers. Yes really, and knitted them all again in a larger needle size. To cut a long story short, 
When the first glove was finished, I decided it was too small. Chainmail sprang to mind when I put it on and tried to bend my fingers. I knew it wasn't good enough. So I started again in DK and I did the fingers in the larger needle size. And it was a bit frustrating to be starting again, but actually knitting the first one had been a very valuable lesson and it meant I had uh, a glove for reference as I started again. And this is really partly why these gloves took such an unbelievably long time. Because first of all, I was all, had all this farting around with the swatching. And then when I finally decided what I was doing, I knitted the first glove with all the, you know, head scratching and umming and eyeing and finally understanding what I was doing. And at the end of that, uh, then I pulled the fingers out and then I did them again. And then I decided it was the wrong bloody yarn anyway. So this is why it just took absolutely ages to get them done. I'm pleased to say that really when it came to it, shaping the second glove wasn't a problem, or at least nothing like the problem I had expected it to be when I saw that the instructions boiled down to a single sentence. It helped to line it up with my hand um, as I went along whenever I had a, a 3D visualisation fail, something that's quite the norm for me. And my verdict on knitting this type of glove is that it's a right faff and I think this particular pattern comes out on the small side, but in a perverse way, I'm glad to have had the experience, just as I was glad to have had 17 hours of labour labor before having my final baby by C-section, so that at least I know what it feels like. And in case that doesn't make sense, Polly was a scheduled C-section because she was breached, so I never went into labour with her. At least I can say now, I've experienced it. So when it came to it, these gloves are still a bit snug, but once they're on, they actually feel nice and they'll do the job and you can move your fingers easily. Of course, like an idiot, I didn't take a photograph of them before I sent them. So when they arrive, I'll ask her to do that. But if she loses one, she's on her own. Christmas knitting. This is minimal this year. I might get round to doing more, maybe a, a nice therapeutic Arnon Carlos bauble alongside a Bailey's one evening. But for now, I'm improvising some small items, but <laughs> I'm not trying to be a tease, but I'm not going to go into detail about them here for obvious reasons. Uh, they require Kitchener stitch, which I can never remember for Toffee. I know it's something like knit off pearl something 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 uh, but I, I just can't get it into my head um so the other night I sat with this, uh, I don't know what the others were watching something so I had the sound off and I had a YouTube video on my laptop and I had it at half speed and I just kept going back over this same little bit um following what to do I'm hoping by the time I've done a few it might stick in my head um or I might even just write myself down um a little sort of I don't know, schematic or something so that I can just get it done. But stupid, I just can't keep it in my head. Apart from that bit, I can make one in an evening easily. But at the moment, I've got one sat on the needles, kneading um, sealed up with Kitchener. And I can't do the next one until the needles are free, until I've done the Kitchener. So you know what it's like. I'll end up waiting three days to do the Kitchener before I get on to the next one. Anyway, they're easy and quick. And I'll, I need to do about six or eight of them to give to somebody for Christmas. So I'm actually looking forward to telling you about them. Um, after Christmas but I just don't want to um, give it all away now in case the recipient listens to this. That's me really for the time being. So as things stand I'm looking for a project for the Drops Nord alpaca yarn and I'm back at square one finding hard wearing sock yarn. I'm also knitting a cover for a small hot water bottle, it's like an A5 hot water bottle if you say an ordinary one's an A4, that we've had knocking around for ages without a cover. It's very mindless knitting, you know, I can do it in an evening with half an ear on the TV and hold a conversation. 
I fancy some colour work next year, perhaps. Um, I saw earlier, I think, I don't know if it was Twitter or Instagram, somebody had created the most beautiful colour work tank top for their baby, uh, who wasn't terribly impressed when um, they had it put on them. But it was really lovely. It's all, a bit all creatures, great and small, but I actually really enjoy colour work, uh, which would also help me burn through some more of my stash. But really, I need to find things to do with the acrylic yarn. Uh, possibly some knitting for charity. Um, I also have quite a few skeins of acrylic yarn that haven't been used at all. They're, you know, they're all wrapped, they've got the labels on. So I could just donate those to charity directly, perhaps, and cut out the middle stage. It's fair to say, definitely, that I've um, learned the long and hard way not to buy yarn on spec. I think this is the first year that I'm not asking for any knitting kit for Christmas, though some of those short knit pro cables are always useful. Isn't it funny how you can have kit absolutely overflowing out of bags and cupboards, yet you never have the right things to hand? Before I say goodbye, I just need to say I've had major uh, technical traumas recording this. The second half has been a hell of a lot smoother than the first. So if the first half sounds a bit odd, it's because uh, my recording software is cutting out um, spontaneously and it was all getting a bit annoying so I just didn't feel like by the time I'd re-recorded some bits twice I thought this is just absolutely ridiculous so um, thank you for sticking with it if the first half was a bit painful. I hope Santa is good to you. I intend to be back in the new year when I have more projects to talk about, more yarn bought and let's hope good news on the horizon all round. Merry Christmas and a happy new year.